All right. Big show's on the air. Uh, three, two, one. Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, with, uh, with a great guest. Not to say that the other guests weren't great, but uh, Doug Gilchrist, CAO of uh, Kelowna. Welcome. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. Just so you know, today was such a special interview, and we have such a tight quarters here. I wore deodorant today. Beautiful. It smells like flowers in here. And vanilla and lavender, I hope. Hints of? No, because, you know, apparently if you put too much on, it can cause some uh, cancer-causing agents. So I, as a service to you, I did that. I, th- I, did. I assumed you were all natural, but uh, it's good to hear. Thanks for prepping for me for today. So I got to get the first question off the top of my head is, what's it like running a city? Um, wonderful. I can't think of a better job than what I do. In the city I do it in, in the point in time that we do it, the evolution of the city. I think every city manager probably looks at it like it's a critical time. And for them in that point in time with that council, it probably is. Um, but I, I really, truly believe we're in a really special place in our evolution as a city. And it's, it's awesome. It's busy. It's, uh, it's hectic. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Because the skyline is one aspect that people look at when they visit the city and they go, man, your skyline has completely changed over the course of, you know, if they haven't been here in a few years. Like, is, is that one of the, the aspects that people look at the most for Kelowna is just the skyline or is there... There are other elements. Yeah, I think uh, I think the skyline is just an an indicator, right, of what's happening. The fastest growing city in the country, uh, for lots and lots of different reasons: um, political, socioeconomic, um, intergovernmental. There's lots of reasons that we are that place, um, and I think the skyline is just a signal that to, to people that we are growing up and um, literally and uh, physically. Or sorry, physically and uh, and in other ways, it's um, to me it's a bit of a sign of maturity. Um, it comes with things like arts and culture, and it comes with challenges as well of operating a city when you see us growing at this pace and maturing at this pace. And for some, it's it's sad. You know, there's people that grew up here who remember the Flintstones Park and the go kart track and and the water slides, and and they they yearn for yesterday, right? They would want to see more of that come back. And then there's others that are moving here because of the uh, evolution that we're, we're undertaking. Okay, so what would be, for a lot of people that don't know what the city manager's role is, other than, you know, to spin around in an office chair and run things, but what is the role and how could you best describe it to, to the public that may or may not know its, its role within the city? Uh, so leading a large organization has lots of commonalities, whether it's public or private. You need uh, leadership, vision, uh, communication ability, um, trying to um, um, excite people and energize them to do their work and make sure they understand how important it is, the outcomes we're looking for, and so on. I think that that uh, is on both sides of the fence, political, or sorry, yeah, private or public. The difference in a city manager role compared to that of a private organization is you have one foot in the political camp, right? So trying to provide good advice and leadership upwards to the council you report to. Um, so we have a, a, a one employee model uh, where I am the only employee of council. They can hire and fire and do what they want with me to, so to speak. Um, and they do. Um, and uh, then all of the other employees, uh, nearly 1,100, uh, report through my team to me. Um, 
So in the day-to-day, it's uh, managing council and trying to lead the organization. But there's a, a large uh, senior leadership group beneath me that helps uh, helps do that on an operational and a strategic basis. So I have a team of nine um, senior leaders, including my executive office manager. And uh, from there on down, we have all the streams that you would typically understand of, mun- of municipal responsibility from protective services to planning, finance, um, parks, culture, arts, and all the utilities that uh, make our day-to-day lives flush and turn on and light up and all of those kinds of things. So what would be the, the median years of experience for that senior team? Like- uh, we have a pretty deep uh, level of experience on that team. I'd say on average, most of them have been with us at least 10 to 15 years, some as many as 25. Um, uh, and their skill set ranges from... Uh, people with CA degree, CAs, uh, certified planners, parks and rec folks, uh, obviously finance, um, things like that. So yeah, real broad range of skill sets and levels of experience and talents. Who's your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> My executive office manager. <laughs> uh, because she keeps me uh, on track and uh, is my right hand. I think I spoke to her. She's, uh, she's wonderful. She yeah. is. Okay, so what what aspect of the city is, in in your eyes, is going to be the biggest challenge going forward the next ten years, twenty years? And as a planner, you're thinking on the horizon anyway. So what what aspect is going to be the biggest biggest challenge for you looking forward? Uh, I think there's some that are more more cha- more obvious challenges than others. You know, that you think of uh, being the fastest growing city in the country. There's obvious challenges related to. Uh, traffic congestion, growth management, uh, homelessness, mental health and addictions, which is on everybody's radar uh, related to public safety. Um, and then there's some that I can I have to work more carefully on in the background around things like diversity and inclusion, um, retention and attraction of top talent and competing for that talent carefully. Uh, you know, you're managing the public purse, but you also want to make sure we have the best people possible to run the city. That's a fine balance to run. So I think there's corporate challenges and then there's community challenges. The community challenges, um, you know, I really enjoy talking about those ones because everybody's got an opinion, good, good, bad or otherwise. Um, but it's the collection of those opinions that help us formulate policy and help council formulate their approvals. Um, so I think the the homelessness, mental health and addictions issues in our community and our society nationally internationally is is a, a challenge of our time something we've never seen and impacts that are so deep it will take um, a magnitude of change to uh, to shift the dial from where we are today and let's talk about responsibility regarding that issue because at one time municipalities weren't actually facing homelessness on on the on the spectrum they are now like it seems like it's because cities used to be responsible for roads and you know uh, making sure the the parks ran and and a host of those infrastructure essential services and homelessness has kind of come into the forefront even though years past like uh, ex-CAO Ron Matusi said it actually wasn't even on our radar for a lot of years so how so it's kind of evolved and now it's <laughs> effectively in our backyard 
Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly an added um, dilemma for us. And and as our politicians know full well, it lands on our doorstep, whether it's our responsibility or not. The citizens go to the level of government that's closest to them, and we happen to be that one. Um, so we do have some responsibility, unquestionably. Um, what that role is, is a little bit blurred. Um, there were, I know when I started years ago, there was uh, um, no interest or appetite to provide land for affordable housing at the municipal level. It wasn't our job. We had Provincial Housing Corporation, we have BC Housing now, and uh, that was their responsibility along with the federal government to deliver housing in all forms, supportive or otherwise. Um, but because it wasn't being delivered to the satisfaction of citizens across the country, municipalities started to step up, us being one of the first to start providing land to incent investment to the provincial government. That has now become the standard. So call it downloading or, or, or what have you, we've taken on a responsibility that we haven't received any additional funding to deliver. So the burden gets greater, then the pie gets split in more ways, and there's going to be casualties of that, whether that's fewer parks or less recreation or you know street sweeping or whatever those things are, we, had, we have to take from somewhere to deliver it. Um, my job is to try and keep that balance uh, so that everyone is satisfied with the level of service while being cognizant of, uh, you know, managing the, the income stream that we've got. So you, you're juggling a lot of different, let's call them masters. And, and at any given time, you know, whether it be council, city staff, like it seems to me like you have to manage up as well as manage down at all times. Is that, that's got to be the, the hardest part of the job. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tricky, but I've, I've worked in government for 24 years. Um, and, you know, people ask, what are you good at? They ask me, you know, what's your, what's your secret sauce? What's your best talent? And really, it's just working in government. It isn't a specific skill related to planning or real estate or anything like that. It's maneuvering within government and figuring out a way to get things done in, in kind of a chal- challenging environment. Um, so managing, I'll call it managing down, as you, as you say, we, we've got a group of really talented people at the city, uh, a lot of professionals in their field. Uh, we attract some of the best uh, in the country, uh, as the mayor often says, uh, from his experience, and that makes it easier. You know, it, it makes managing a group of people that's already motivated um, pretty easy. They're there for the right reasons, and they're a great, great complement of staff. Um, Council, that's not to say council isn't, but council is a completely different animal, right? They represent um, their community, nine individuals. They don't vote as a block and, or a party line or anything like that and have a differing opinions. And I think that's what's good about local government compared to, say, provincial or federal government. They are individuals and they have the right to voice their opinion as they see fit. So giving them advice um, individually and collectively is, is kind of the art, is making sure you can understand and relate and communicate to them as an individual, knowing they're very different than the person sitting next to them. I guess it is a, a very diversified group, as it should be, because they're, they're supposed to be representing different parts of the city, that's for sure. Uh, one of the thoughts, though, is you have those 1,100 employees, and you see it from the ground level, which is when, they, when you're trying to attract talent into Kelowna, and they look at the wage, and they look at the benefits, and they look at the community, and it's a beautiful place to live. But some of them are probably saying, I, I, Doug, I'd love to come. I just don't know if I can afford to live there. Are you getting more and more of that? We are, for sure. Um, I, don't, I can't give you the numbers, but of uh, the people that have walked away from an offer this year, 
um, but it's high. It's much higher than we've ever seen. We've, we've gone down the path of uh, attracting, interviewing, and selecting really good, talented people, um, public and private sector, and we, they come down to looking at a home, and they, they, they pull the pin. Uh, it's happened numerous times this year. I always say that our HR group is, if they haven't researched what the housing cost is, we don't want to hire them anyway, because that to me is, is, is base level uh, research. Um, but it, it is an, a hindrance right now, for sure. Well, how many bedrooms in your house? Three. There you go. <laughs> get one or two in there. We should, we, we should double them up and get more uh, more staff in hey, there. somebody's talking with density. There you go. I didn't know density meant bunk beds, but maybe. Uh, one day I happened upon uh, being in the mayor's office, and, and he, um, he mentioned a book that inspired him, which was Happy City by Charles Montgomery. And uh, I read the book, well, in my case, skimmed it. Um, didn't have a lot of pictures, so that was my problem. <laughs> Double space, big text, you know. Um, but is there a book or is there a ideology that you you were attracted to as a as a city manager that you find that it just resonates with you and, and your vision for the city? Um, I'm I'm more really interested in books about people than I am about. Um, specific philosophies. I get more about reading about someone who's done something and then drawing my own conclusion as to why they were successful or unsuccessful in it. Um, and they're, they're somewhat typical, you know, Richard Branson or Elon Musk or people like that that really inspire me to, and I just take a little bit of nugget out of something that they have done or something that happened in their life that chose them to take a certain path. So th that's more the type of reading that's interesting to me. Um, Although there was one book many years ago that probably didn't fit my profile that I read that kind of got me into a certain um, kind of view of the world. It's called, uh, it was by Dan Millman, called Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And really out of character for me back then, 20-some-year-old kid, and I handed a book from a, a girlfriend. And um, it's, uh, it has shaped a little bit about how, uh, how I think. Really? So... Can you share anything with uh, with the group? Um, it's really, um, it's a story about how to be more introspective and uh, the way he crafts the, the wording. It's just so much different than, say, a self-help book that tells you what to do based on somebody's experience and how many books they're trying to sell. And, you know, it's not, it's marketing. And this is, a, it's a bit like The Alchemist. It, they're more, it's more storytelling to get a message across. And it just really resonated with me. It's interesting. The uh, I had a manager who gave me the book, The Game of Work, which was how to create different goalposts, like like a a sport would. So I play I play hockey, not very well, but I play hockey, and it well, listen, <laughs> the word does get around that I do play some pickle, um, but get out of my kitchen anyway. Uh, the biggest thing is the Game of Work taught me that you can actually put the same kind of metrics and measurements into your work. So it gives you the same feedback, much like a sport would. And it was very, you know, it was very interesting for me because I'm actually uber competitive, even when I play recreationally. So if we're, if we're ever facing off in a pickleball court, just know I'm coming. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think there's a good message in there around um, being able to relate to people on their level. If you're managing people or someone's managing you, and they relate to sport or philosophy or, or what have you, you got to try and talk to them on their level. Okay, so let's talk about that game, that pickleball game, okay? This is a hard-hitting interview, so you got to know this is coming, okay? Pickleball is the fastest-growing sport in North America. 
All right. So are, are we <laughs> are we building courts across the city, or are we waiting? What are we waiting for, Doug? Every this parking is- lot in the city is going to be a pickleball <laughs> court. All we need by is the line. end of twenty twenty two. I guarantee that. Um, you heard it here first on the Rick and Friends yeah, show. First announcement. Um, yeah, we. I think the recreation needs of the city have been um, highly recognized by our current council and hopefully the next council as well. It's high on my radar, generally speaking, that our recreation facilities need to either both catch up and keep up with our population growth. You know, Parkinson Rec Center is going to be our next really significant investment in recreation, uh, hopefully next year. We'll get going on that after we've uh, finalized some design and gone to the community for funding. Um, but I think we can do smaller things like uh, transition uh, underutilized uh, schools, uh, working in partnership with the school district, um, looking for spaces like parking lots that could be converted into basketball or pickleball or other things, multi-use opportunities like that. So I think we've got to get more creative, um, involve the likes of our um Sport partners like Colonial United built two soccer domes in our city in the last 10 years. And didn't I hear something about a Premier League is, is looking or, or some sort of soccer team is looking in our city? Yeah, we have uh, have had uh, Canadian Premier League conversations over the years, in fact, actually. People kicking tires from time to time. and Kicking balls, uh, kicking tires. Kick, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, baseball. Uh, we've had uh, some fairly significant baseball interest in our community in, in probably in the last four or five years. So Kelowna's on the radar for many reasons, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, sport's no different. So is is there a, like, do you ever, if you get a, whether it be a high-end lacrosse team or a rugby team or whatever, who might have a fan base and they need a facility, and, and does the city look at that and go, okay, what is economic impact based on our city's growth and based on the fan base and the relevance, is that part of the whole equation on, on who who gets maybe more meetings and who gets further into this discussion than others would? Is that part of that decision-making? Uh, certainly economic impact is always a component of the conversation. Um, there's kind of a few things that, that drive um, the basis for those conversations. One is we have a community sport plan. So we know where our demand is versus our facilities and the pressures. So what's growing, what's not? Pickleball, um, baseball, soccer. What's growing, what's not? Um, what are the anticipated needs in those areas in the future? So uh, a deficiency uh, identification, that type of thing. Then we have a facilities master plan that then puts in place uh, the facilities timing and funding sources, some of which we have funding for, some which we don't, which we may need to go to uh, partnership models or um, uh, debt for to build them. Um, and then we also have something that's kind of new um, in my last few years is um, unsolicited bid process. So we get people come walk in the door and say, hey, I'm going to build an IMAX or I'm going to build a stadium or I want to do this or that. And some of them can be fly by night with a good, some can be a great idea with no money. And occasionally we get a partner with money. Um, so we've formalized that so we can take those ideas and flesh them through uh, standardized kind of questions and investigation and conversation with those folks so we can see where there's meat on the bones and then run with it because we will need uh, partners uh, outside of the city, partners with innovative ideas that aren't within government to help us solve some of those those wicked problems. And I think recreation facilities can be one of them. So if I was to read into that, having some cash doesn't hurt your chances. Absolutely. 
We like partners with money. So as I was mentioning, uh, Ron Matusi's been on the big show. Um, on this show? The big he show. came here? The big show. I mean, wow. the big, big show. Um, and, and what he said was uh, one time he was blamed for fruit flies. Wow. Like the city manager was blamed for I knew fruit it was flies. him. <laughs> the amount of uh, abuse that is heaped upon uh, a city manager at times is, can, you know, it can be kind of fun. Right? Is there any it, fruit fly it, it can stories? Be fun. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just speaking out of sorts here. But is there is there any kind of uh, maybe you've heard of in another community? Maybe not directed at you, but have you heard about some fun when when all the city managers sit around the table of of what you're blamed for? Fruit flies was number one in, that I've heard. Have you? Can you one up me? That that one's that's a tall order. Um, yeah, Ron and I certainly trade lots of stories over the year, and, and every once in a while, I'd go into his office, or he'd come into mine, and we'd just look at each other and say, are you joking? Like, is there, I don't know how many times he said to me, there's a full moon again today. <laughs> These are the calls that we get, and people would be surprised. But um, yeah, the uh, I mean, being in government most of my career, federal, provincial, municipal, and First Nation government, um, it's like walking around with a bullseye. You know, people just love to blame government. And more now than ever. I mean, it's it's a really tough time to maintain and give confidence to the community that you're spending their money wisely and making good policy decisions. Um, so yeah, we, do we get blamed for things? You bet. I mean, do you, do you I mean, read the social media though? Like, do you do you read any any posts or anything about? I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't take it all to heart for sure, and probably less so than ever in particular social media. But uh, you got to stay informed, of course, right? Uh, I read Now Media every single morning, an hour of my life, of course. Um, I think one of the one of the ones I love that we got blamed for um, was when the yacht club when there's a storm, yeah. and uh, people in the yacht club and I happen to be a member, but people in the yacht club's boats got beat up, so we got blamed for the wind and the water. Well, as not as fruit it, flies, but we got blamed <laughs> for the wind and the water. I can't believe you guys did that with those wind turbines that you guys have on the West Kelowna side. So it was irresponsible, actually. But well, that's a partnership that's going <laughs> to. Maybe we'll have a closer relationship with the weatherman at some point. So do we have a, a sister city anymore? I don't know if that's still a thing. No. Okay. Um <laughs> Because I, I thought we had one in Japan or something like that, if that makes any sense. Probably not. Okay. I'm just getting a lot, <laughs> a lot of uh, nonverbal signals here from, from Mr. Doug. Um, but if you were to, is there a comparison chart? Like, do you ever go to other CAOs and say, hey, how's it going on your end? Because I know different industries and businesses, they have, they call them 20 groups or 10 groups, and, and they all get around a table and they compare notes on how they're doing in various aspects of the city. Would you give yourself a grade against, is it Victoria or Prince George or, or some other community? Like, is there any kind of note exchange that you can just kind of get, figure out, like, how are we doing? Because sometimes we can get pretty isolated. Yeah, no, certainly uh, we do a lot of benchmarking with other cities. Um, coming into local government, I was incredibly surprised to learn how little benchmarking there is. I mean, there's municipalities right across the country. We generally supply most of the same services with a similar income stream and, and so on. But there is very, there's very little benchmarking. So we end up doing it uh, service by service um, as opposed to city by city. 
So when we look at our recreation services or our fire services or our CMP uh, contract and things like that, there is some level of comparison that takes place. And we fare extremely well on many, many fronts. Kelowna has has always, and I don't take credit for this by any stretch, has always been seen as a leader uh, amongst municipalities in BC. And and we get to sit at some some good tables as a result of that, whether they're policy development tables federally and nationally on the building front, airport, finance. Um, a good chunk of my leadership team has either been on, been in the senior seat at some of these associations uh, tables um, or is on their way to that, that path. So uh, lots of comparisons that take place. And then just troubleshooting. Absolutely. I mean, come, pick up a phone and talk to another city manager can be invaluable um, both ways, um, giving and taking advice. Because it would be, I, I think it would be a, a big boon for, for you, especially when sitting down at the table with the unions, because obviously you would have to have a, a benchmark for salaries and, and various other aspects to figure out what the next bargaining agreement looks like. Yeah, we have our, we have our compensation targets um, of where we want to be in the spectrum of other municipalities. Um, and we know what the other union contracts all look like. And we uh, have an excellent relationship with our, with our union. I mean, I, I was in the union at one time and uh, in two different unions in my career. And neither time when I was in the union did, did I see a difference in, in my relationship with union, non-union employees. And I don't see that today. They're all professionals. And um, it's a mechanism to help workers and give certainty to the employer. And that, to me, is kind of the extent of it. So just for fun, just off the top of your head, how much on the budget is, is you know, what are the biggest cost expenditures for the city? Public safety, Public unquestionably. Safety. Uh, I believe 2022, about 35% of our budget was public safety. So that's RCMP, uh, fire, bylaw, and police support services. It's huge and growing significantly. In the last four years, this council has stepped up and hired 70 positions related to public safety as a result of it being a top priority of our community. And they've translated that, and they've walked the walk and translated that into dollars. Hired 39 RCMP officers this term on a complement of 222. That's a big percentage. Uh, so that is probably our biggest struggle and why we're advocating so heavily for alternate forms of care and treatment so that we don't have to fund it on the, the policing side, which isn't really uh, paying the dividends that we need, on at least on those the, the front of uh, mental health and addictions. So that's the biggest one. Um, you know, employee salary, we're a big organization. That's also uh, a big nut, uh, for sure. Recreation services, which generates some of its own revenue, is a bit of a saw-off on that front. Um, airport is self-sufficient. And we have a number of other services that are... Um, are, uh, that are revenue-driven, that are self-sufficient, like the landfill and, and services like that. So you used to work on in the federal and provincial levels. Mm -hmm. So does that help you at all when when we're trying to get some money? Uh, knowing what I do know about the inner workings of those areas certainly helps. Some old contacts. It's been a while now. I've been with the city 18 years. Um, so, uh, from time to time, I still have a contact or two back at the federal government and provincial. Um, but I think nav navigating government for sure is, is important and knowing how they work. Relationship building is critical. Um, coming into this role, one of my commitments to council was to improve our relationships in Victoria and with some of the entities that um, provide funding to us. 
And so we had developed two functions. One was uh, um, strengthening the area of grants management. Uh, we have a great new uh, girl in there who's doing a fantastic job and drawn in a lot of money for us in the last over $20 million. Um, assisted in delivering that in the last year. And um, an intergovernmental affairs uh, advisor who really helps coordinate and build relationships with other levels of government so that we're either involved in the policymaking, we know what's coming, um, or we can provide advice in how it's developed. Do, do you think there's any role of, uh, well, obviously a, a larger role for mayor, council to to utilize any and all um, relationships that they have on the provincial, federal level? Absolutely. I think that's a big role of council. And we have a number of councillors that are quite adept at it, including our mayor. Um, the mayor sits on the BC Urban Mayor's Caucus table uh, as a co-chair of 13 biggest municipalities in the province. Um you go to Victoria and he gets a meeting and, and people know his name. We have influence down there through his work and the work of the administration. Um, we have a much bigger voice uh, today. As a growing city, we, you would expect that, but we do have a, a bigger voice. And trying to, po- to provide like a positive influence in policy development or funding allocation or what have you. Uh, we do not take the approach of embarrassing government, never have, and I don't think that's a productive way to advocate. Um, and we're seeing some fruits of that labor. So given the fact that homelessness, you know, it has become a larger issue because we have this wonderful climate, we have a beautiful city, and let's face it, if you were homeless, wouldn't you rather be in a nice place? Um, is is there a, I, I guess, you know, Journey Home has been a part of that uh, mechanism, but it seems to me like federal and provincial have to step up their funding based on the fact that we are we're becoming a more attractive area for homeless people. And, and again, I don't think anybody disputes the fact that each individual case is, is unique. Uh, every, everybody has their own set of challenges. But from a city's perspective, uh, for the taxpayers to bear the weight of, of that population, it becomes, you know, it becomes a frustration point. Are you sensing that? And, and is there hope on the horizon on the, on the provincial federal front? I, I absolutely think there is. Like I'm, I'm on the glass half full on this particular issue for sure. I think we are at a pl- uh, precipice where significant investment must happen, and I think it will. Um, the $146 million that went into this year's budget from the province for complex care was a tip of the iceberg. To me, that's a drop in the bucket, but it's a signal that they're willing to invest in the right things. Building more shelters and putting people into that type of environment doesn't solve anything. It it helps them on a short-term basis, but I'll call it a Band-Aid fix. The things like complex care and treatment and recovery beds, that's where the funding has to go. Um, And if it means repositioning um, RCMP resources, so be it, or um, other provincial funding. Uh, This is the challenge of our time. It's affecting us economically, socially, um, our, our, our um, sat- satisfaction of living in communities, it's its significant and um, it needs to be treated that way. And we have more people die from overdoses than we did from COVID. But look how quickly we, res- we responded to COVID. And I think part of what the challenge is, is or the p- maybe historical paralysis of various levels of government is nobody wants to do the wrong thing, right? So that we end up not doing enough. So we got to get out of that paralysis mode and try, fund. And if it doesn't work, change direction. Well, it seems like that's that's the the best way to sum that up is 
we went through a pandemic, there was these immediate responses. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're still in the emergency mode from the public health office. Um, but it seems like there was an immediate response. And uh, you're correct that the, the overdoses far out, outweighed that. And that's that's a topic for another time. But it does seem like government does have the ability to respond. And, and, uh, and where does it like... When, when people are sitting there frustrated that of, of slow-moving, say, provincial governments or anything else, and they're uh, a tax-paying citizen in, in Kelowna, what voice do they have? What, what aspect can they use? I think um, forcing a public conversation uh, is the avenue to change. Um, when you think of the fundamental politics and how it works, you either get elected or you don't. And, uh, sometimes it's based on policy and action or based on popularity. But either way... Um, public opinion matters and can shift government policy. I think it's important for people to remember. You know, when we get 30% of the population come out to vote for an election and then complain for the next four years, um, it doesn't really match. If you want to have a voice, you need to participate. And that voice um, can have significant influence. So if it's on issues like public safety or mental health or addiction services, um, we need to be loud. Um, that, that's what, where, where change comes from. Okay, a little little off topic, but kind of. Um, what would be your favorite concert, living or dead artist? So it could be, you know, they could have gone on or what have you, but what would be a concert that you would, like, let's say they could rise from the dead. I'm not saying they could, but, and, and they come play in City Park or some other venue or something like that. Which, which artist would, would uh, Doug show up for? Uh, nine Inch Nails. Really? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, well, I grew up in, in northern BC in a small town in the nine, you know, 80s, 90s. So um, heavy metal was actually part of my youth. Do you, do you have like the, the, the hair, jacket? The hair bands, you know, the, the, oh, yeah. the Twisted Sister, Quiet Riot, Def Leppard, you name it. Um, so when that comes on the, I'll never put it on Spotify or something, but when it comes on the radio, it's a little bit of a flashback. Of, you, you crank uh, it up. My youth, it's fun. That's hilarious, because I I kind of missed the because the Iron Maiden, the Judas Priest, and and all those big bands, even Metallica, I came to later in life when they were in their fifties, <laughs> and not exactly thrashing their hotel rooms anymore. But it, it's funny how yeah, just different segments and different kinds of things. So that's really, that's certainly not a reflection of what I rock out to today, if I could put it that way. Um, but it's, uh, it's got a little piece of my heart from way back. Tell me you have a shirt. Tell me you have the, the faded uh, nine inch nail shirt. I can't say I have any of those shirts anymore, but, um, one of my, uh, most significant concerts was Def Leppard. Oh yeah. In, in BC place with the upside drum, upside down one arm drummer going yeah. above the crowd. Like it was, Concerts back in the day were a spectacle, right? They, they were, it was about the show, not about the talent, clearly, yeah. <laughs> with some of them. Um, and now I think it actually is more about the talent than the show. So music has evolved, too. Listen, I felt a kinship. I wasn't sure what it was, but the Def Leppard thing, the Hysteria album, was one of the best albums of all time. Right there with Van Halen. 1984. <laughs> actually, yeah, that, that was actually a seminal album. Seminal piece of work, yes. Okay, we may or may not have a municipal election coming up. I'm not sure if you heard. Oh, is that coming? Is this year? This yeah, I, year? I think it's this year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I should, uh, I should get on that. <laughs> you should uh, press a shirt or something. I don't know. Um, 
is there any characteristics or traits of a counselor that you, and I'm not saying that the current doesn't have any of these, but is there any traits of the counselors that, that you would like them to have or, or embody or, or ones that, you know, you, you as a city manager adore? And I'm going to say that word adore. Sure. Um, I will say that uh, Kelowna, and this isn't kind of blowing smoke or, or, you know, padding our current council. Kelowna has always had a unique relationship with their council, um, a very positive one, uh, a trusting one, one where um, um, administration speaks positively of council and the respect is there and reciprocated, reciprocated by the mayor and council. So preserving that, I think, is absolutely critical. So a councillor that trusts staff as opposed to comes in to try and embarrass staff or uh, runs on a platform that I'm going to cut the red tape and the fat at City Hall. That, that I don't think bodes well for a relationship between the two. Um, so a person who comes in wanting to make improvements, great. Uh, but someone who wants to foster a positive relationship, all the better. Right? That to me is probably the number one piece, positive relationship uh, or looking for a positive relationship with administration. Um, somebody who's got lots of energy it's you know it's not for the passive uh you need to be involved and have some energy and want to be out there in your community um someone who's willing to take risks uh you know the things that that als or the challenges that we face are going to take innovation and a little bit of risk taking and uh we don't typically run on the basis of conservative municipal government we try and be more leading edge um, and I'd like to keep us there, but it, it takes a council that's willing to do it. Is there any time or place where it's suitable for a councillor to contact a city staffer that's not you? Um, you know, we, we try and have a, a protocol, but these are, they're not hard and fast rules, right? I mean, that's who I report to. Uh, I, don't, I don't make rules that, that, that tell them how to do their job um, by any stretch. Um, but following a bit of a protocol around communications ensures that everybody gets the same information, uh, not an individual counselor getting information that another one doesn't get. Um, I mean, it's a very cordial and professional relationship, both amongst current counselors and amongst council and staff. So we don't have that challenge here. It is a challenge in other communities. There's no question about, say, counselors going to junior staff member and poking around for information so they can embarrass another counselor or try and appear more knowledgeable than someone else on a topic. We don't really get that here. So usually it's um, my senior leadership team or myself uh, that would be in contact with council typically. So uh, Tolco is, is a big piece of property. It's a pivotal part of, of Kelowna's history because obviously that land has not been available to us. And I'm not saying us, it's privately owned. But is, is there a, a thought process you would like to see followed when it comes to that land that, you know, as a city planner, that's a big chunk and it's prime real estate next to the city's core. Any kind of thoughts or ideas surrounding that, that land? And, and maybe if you were to draw a picture of what maybe could be, uh, any thoughts around that? Well, we've had people draw pictures of what should be there and drop them off at City Hall, in fact. Uh, <laughs> Some of them were Did on. Did you get mine? Some Did of them. Some of them were. Was that the Crayola one yeah, that was done yeah. in Crayola? Some of the lines I couldn't stay in. <laughs> That's what we like about you. You don't stay within the lines. Um, to me, this is one of the most exciting things that I will have some level of involvement in in my career in Kelowna. 
I, there's not too many people get to touch this type of thing in their career when you're building a city. Um, so I think it should be equally exciting for every planner, real estate person, recreation uh, group, arts, counselors. It doesn't matter. I think we have to make sure we treat it with that level of magnitude of what the impact will be. Um, this is greater than the people who purchase City Park. This is bigger than the grant, uh, which is an incredible amenity uh, for the city. Uh, 40 acres of waterfront uh, in the center of the fastest growing city in the country. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Um, so I think we have to move uh, at a reasonable pace, but make sure we don't um, go too quickly and miss the, miss the opportunity in front of us. When you look at the grand, and I've said this both to the consultant who's advising the group and some of my planners, when you look at the grand and the magnitude of what they did to develop that project, the waterfront park and the bandstand and the lock, the bird sanctuary, the pedestrian corridor, that was visionary. That was a visionary piece of planning work that got delivered. So they, they certainly um, had the, the wherewithal to understand the finances behind it to, to make it, get it off the ground and make it work. Um, to me, that's the baseline. That's where we start. Let's look at what they did there and how do we build on a, something that, that's that visionary for, for that part of our city. Um, and it'll be wonderful. We're going to see this materialize in the next year or two in terms of plans getting adopted, the vision being presented, the community's um, engagement and commentary being reflected on paper um, or digitally, hopefully. Um, and then uh, I'd like to see it um, put into a 3D form so we can all look at it. We have something called Model City. That's been, that we've built out what our future city looks like in a digital twin. Um, so we can all get to see what it looks like before having to wait 10 or 15 years for it to build up. Is this the closest to a giddy monkey as I've seen, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> it may be. It may be. Um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting if you overlay the land base uh, there um, and places like Falls Creek or Granville Island or you know, the, the North Shore um, project, the, the shipbuilding in the area in the North Shore, it's either the same or bigger than those locations. So that, that puts it in perspective the opportunity we have in front of us. So numerous times, numerous interviews on the old Rick and Friends show, when I, when I talk to various people, a pattern exists about transit and about moving people around the city and everything from hovercraft to, uh, to well, various light rail and, and everything in between. I'm not talking about moats again, um, but <laughs> is, is there kind of a thought process when it comes to, because, you know, as you know, as the fastest growing city, we have a, you know, it's a pivotal time. And, and now, now versus any other time is a time to start thinking about the future and, and how do we get around this congestion and how do we start building ways for people to move around the city? Yeah, um, I think transportation and how we get around our city is going to be a, uh, prior, a likely a high priority of the next council. Um, and as I think you know, they, they, they define some priorities at the beginning of the term, and then we set action plans and funding associated with that to accomplish over the course of their four years. And I think we've done really quite well this, this term on doing that. Transportation was high on this council's radar. We built a master transportation plan. We built a regional transportation plan. They've invested heavily in multimodal transportation infrastructure, Ethel Street Corridor, Abbott Street Corridor Extension, the Rail Corridor development. Um, and those things will continue. 
but you're right uh, that we we need to um, continually visit what the vision is. Getting to the airport and university on that rail corridor spine, I think on an alternate mode. Um, I'm sure there's lots of people tired of me uh, making this statement, but reinforcement tends to beget more conversation. And whether it's self-drive minibuses or, you know, Doppelmeyer gondolas or uh, or ultimately maybe an LRT down the road when we're of that magnitude, uh, I don't think it really matters. It's the it's the momentum that needs to keep going to make that into something special. We bought it for, we didn't buy it for just a rail trail for people to ride their bikes. You know, that's a, a fabulous amenity and it'll be world-class when we can connect all the links to other communities, uh, but it has much more capability to move people efficiently than that. I did my part. I bought a fat tire e-bike. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> You rode it. I did ride it. Yeah, not very far. You told me to get off, so I think it is your baby. I was chasing you. <laughs> Had a wonderful day with uh, Doug Gilchrist, CEO of City of Kelowna. Um, just one last thought: official community plan. Anything you want to change? <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, thanks for being on the big show, and uh, we'll have to get you back. And uh, yeah, we can dissect all the candidates for council. Wouldn't that be fun? Do I get to vote <laughs> right here? Easy. Then. And then you can release it afterwards and see if I was right. No, I'm looking forward to the election, and uh, wish all of our council the best of luck.